like. Um, I want to invite you at this time to join me in the book of Acts, chapter 2. Acts 2, in just a moment, I'll be reading verses 41 to 47. I think it's obvious as you watch young children that sharing is not mankind's natural propensity. In our home this last week, I witnessed this several different ways. Uh, One child screamed as a cap gun was ripped from his hand. Two children uh, jumped up in my lap and were pushing each other to the side because, no, we can't share cuddles with dad. I get all of them. Everyone contended for the best spot as we FaceTime grandpa on the couch closest to the screen. One child, we had some uh, books come into our house this week that someone gave us. And one child took the very best books that everyone was most excited about and hid those books behind all the other books on his bookshelf just so they could be just for him. As we get older, truthfully, not much changes. I mean, my children come by what all that honestly from mom and dad. We simply find ways to put makeup on our depravity so that it's not so obvious and doesn't look quite so bad and glaringly obvious. Selfishness and stinginess are hardwired into our DNA. But what happens when a person is born again and becomes a new creation in Christ and the old passes away and the new comes? Then surely things should start to change in our lives. And one of those things that should change comes out a bit in the next commitment of our covenant. Uh, Number nine, we're, we're working through these together and just examining the scriptures that go with them. Commitment number nine reads as follows. I will cultivate fellowship with them. I will cultivate fellowship with my brothers and sisters in Christ here at Bowman Baptist Church. That word fellowship is actually a word that is very much related to sharing. And the phrase continues, and will help to bear their burdens through prayer and practical assistance. God wants you to cultivate fellowship and bear burdens. In short, we might say this, God wants you to share. Christians are sharing people. In fact, according to Scripture, it's who we are and it's what we do. Acts chapter 2, verses 41 to 47. I would like to read these verses and just ask you to follow along. Uh, The church has just just started here in the book of Acts. And let's read what they were doing together. Acts 2, beginning in verse 41. So those who received his word, in other words, those who had trusted Christ, were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And what did they do? And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. As we've worked through these various commitments in our church covenant, we've just been following kind of the same path through all of them, looking at the same realities about each one of these commitments. And so we start again today with the first commitment or first reality. This is a biblical commitment. Cultivating fellowship and bearing burdens are biblical practices. The first practice, God calls you to cultivate fellowship with your brothers. 
What exactly is it, though, that God calls you to cultivate? What is fellowship? I mean, that's like kind of one of those Christianese words that we like, yeah, we're like fellowshipping. The fellowship was amazing. Like, what on earth are we even talking about? The, the Greek word for it, koinonia, is used 18 to 20 times in the New Testament. And if we trace the usage of that word throughout the New Testament, I think you and I will all have a better idea of what it is exactly that God is calling us to cultivate right here at Beaumont Baptist Church day after day, week after week. An overview of this word, koinonia, reveals, first of all, that our fellowship, whatever this is, it is specific and it is unique. Our fellowship is exclusively and distinctively Christian, we might say. This is a Christian thing. Acts 2.42 states that the early church devoted themselves, and it doesn't say to fellowship, but it actually says to the fellowship. It's obviously something kind of specific or nuanced. And so I want to invite you to join me now in the book of 1 John chapter 1, verse 3. And I think that the Apostle John here is going to give us a little bit um, more clarity on what exactly it is that's fellowship. 1 John chapter 1, verse 3, the Apostle John helps define for us what the fellowship in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 is. He writes there, 1 John chapter 1, verse 3, that which we have seen and heard. So he's immediately referring to what he and others had seen and heard from Jesus. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. Why? Why are we telling you about Jesus, what we witnessed from him, what he taught, what he said? So that you too may have fellowship or koinonia with us. And indeed, our fellowship or koinonia is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And what John is helping us to see is that our fellowship consists of several specific and unique ingredients. Like what? Like the Father and the Son, the gospel, the word of God. There are some unique these are some of the unique possessions of God's people. Many of you have recipes for your favorite meals and desserts, and so maybe you get those recipes out or you look them up online. What is the recipe for fellowship? What do we need to throw in the pot, so to speak, in order to have it? And broadly speaking, I think to try to narrow this down a little bit than just like this, this really broad idea. Broadly speaking, I think that we could say that there are two ingredients. You, you have basically the things of God, the things of our Christian life, coupled with the second ingredient, ingredient, basically the things of life. When our lives intersect with the things of God with one another. Biblical fellowship is often verbal. It takes place when the things of God and the things of life intersect, uh, when they get mixed into the pot together, when our Christian lives collide in a good way. For example, when two Christians are speaking together about what's going on in their lives and how God's word and how, God's and how the gospel uh, come into play in those situations and relate to those things, that's just one example of what we would call fellowship. So fellowship is distinctly Christian. It is our Christian lives coming together. I could spend all day with my unsaved neighbor and have a tremendous time. And we could be working on projects around the house. He could be helping me. I could be helping him. We could be laughing. We could be having a wonderful time. And I could be, I am so thankful for my neighbor. But we would not call that fellowship. 
Our fellowship is specific and it is unique. And further, our fellowship is vertical and thus it is horizontal. Look back at 1 John chapter 1, verse 3 again. John writes, That which we have seen and heard about, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. That verse mentions two planes of fellowship. One plane is vertical and the other plane is horizontal. Our fellowship with God is what brings us into fellowship with one another. There's also a massive interplay between your fellowship, your vertical fellowship with God, and your horizontal fellowship with one another, with the body. One person said this, the stronger your vertical fellowship is, the stronger your horizontal fellowship with will be. And if you find yourself out of fellowship with God, you will begin to find yourself out of fellowship with other Christians. Isn't that true? It's also true that spiritual fellowship or community with other believers often has the, the effect of pushing you into closer fellowship and relationship with the Lord. Are you beginning to see why this is so important? This, this word fellowship, this idea of fellowship, it's extremely important. Also, our fellowship is dependent on the Holy Spirit. Listen to these two uses of the word koinonia. This is 2 Corinthians 13, 14. It mentions something that's called the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And Philippians 2, verse 1 says something very similar. It mentions participation in the Spirit. As Christians, we all share the Spirit of God. We share in Him, and we have fellowship with Him. The Holy Spirit literally dwells with inside every single one of us who has Christ as our Savior. And the Spirit creates fellowship between all of us. That means that you and I need the Holy Spirit's help if we're going to practice fellowship. Also, our fellowship is something that we possess, but it's not just something that we possess. It's actually something that we practice. We possess fellowship. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 9 says that God is faithful by whom you were called, uh, or the idea is by whom you were summoned. It's a salvation word. You were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Okay, just really high level there. When God gave you his salvation, he gave you his, his fellowship as a fact, as a possession. Possessing salvation means possessing fellowship with God, His Son, and His people. We were brought into that. But it's not merely something that we possess. It's also something that we practice. God calls us to live our fellowship out in everyday life. We practice fellowship. Acts 2.42 states that the early church devoted themselves to the fellowship. It was their practice. They devoted themselves to it. To devote means to continue to do something with intense effort. To devote oneself to, to keep on, to persist in. Basically, if you just thought about the, the faithful continuance in something, you just keep doing it. If we want a healthy church culture, like what we read that the early church had there in Acts chapter 2, then it has to be built on the foundation of right practices. They devoted themselves to this and they devoted themselves to that. I mean, they just kept doing these same sort of things again and again and again and again. And one of those practices is fellowship. 
our fellowship manifests itself in numerous ways. It, it, not even just verbal conversation about the things of God and where our lives intersect with that, but other ways as well. And the horizontal manifestations or forms of our fellowship are always driven by the vertical. It's our relationship with God that drives this in our lives. And as we'll see, not all fellowship, as I mentioned, is verbal or conversational. Our fellowship manifests itself in so many different ways. Like what? Well, like when we share in gospel ministry together, when we partner in that together. Turn back to the book of Galatians chapter 2, verse 9. Uh, God uses this word fellowship, koinonia, in reference to our partnering together in gospel ministry, uh, working together to advance the gospel. Serving alongside of one another in the body. Shared gospel ministry as a manifestation or form of our fellowship. Paul said, if you look there at Galatians chapter 2, verse 9, that when James and Cephas or Peter and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived that the grace of God was given to me. In other words, when those three men recognized that I had received the grace of God, that I too had trusted in Christ the Messiah for salvation, when those guys realized that, that I was in fellowship with God too, we read that they gave, Paul says, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me. They gave the right hand of koinonia to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles, that we should advance the gospel with them, and they to the circumcised, to the Jews. These men were all realizing that by the grace of God, they had each trusted Christ, and now they're working together so that the gospel could go forward to these different groups of people. In Philippians 1 verse 5, Paul explained to uh, the Philippians that he thanked God in prayer because he writes of your partnership or your koinonia in the gospel from the first day until now. We're gospel partners. We're advancing the gospel together. We do ministry together as a team here at Beaumont Baptist Church, whether that be uh, the, the verbal declaring of the gospel, whether that be setting up together, uh, getting ready for our worship service, whatever it is that we do, we, we do it together. We share in gospel ministry. And with other gospel partners and with other gospel preaching churches, uh, our fellowship also manifests itself when we share our resources together. Turn over to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 3 and 4. As you're turning there, I would remind you that in Acts chapter 2, verse 44, right after we read that the early church devoted themselves to fellowship, we read that they had all things in common, that they're sitting at each other's tables uh, with generous hearts towards one another, that they're spending time together, having all things in common. They were sharing their resources with one another. The Gospels changes a person's perspective on his resources. Three times in the New Testament, this word koinonia, this fellowship word, is used to describe giving to other Christians financially to meet their needs. In fact, Paul had this massive operation of, of, of taking this, this offering for poorer Christians, and that, that's where we're seeing this word show up. 2 Corinthians 8, 3 and 4 says this of the Macedonian churches. Paul writes, for they gave according to their means. And Paul writes, I can testify and beyond their means. 
of their own accord. And then I love verse 4. Paul explains that they were begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part. Koinonia, sharing in the relief of the saints. Here are Christians who have brothers around the world who are in desperate, dire circumstances. And God's people are rising up to meet that need. Let's grab the broad principle. God calls me and God calls you. To, to, God calls me to use my resources, whatever they may be, for the needs of the body. And when I do that, that's a form of fellowship. That's a form of us sharing together because we have vertical fellowship with God and that comes out in very practical everyday ways in our lives. It's also seen when we share the Lord's Supper together. The Lord's Supper beautifully reflects the connection uh, that we have with our Lord and his death. And it also reflects the connection that we have with each other. And so it really comes as no surprise that we would see this fellowship word, this koinonia word, come out in, in a Lord's Supper passage. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 16 says, The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation, a, a koinonia in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation, a, a koinonia in the body of Christ? When we take the Lord's Supper, there, there, there's koinonia going on, or being reflected, I should say. And it's being reflected vertically in our, our union and our connection with Christ. But it's also being reflected as, as we share in the bread, as we share in the cup, uh, the, the, the horizontal fellowships being reflected. Our fellowship manifests itself when we share the Lord's Supper together. It's also reflected or manifested when we share Christ's sufferings with him. There are koinonia verses that bring that out. Here's the thing, though. Our fellowship can actually break down. It, it, can, it can erode. It can fall apart. And so I wanted you to turn back to the book of 1 John chapter 1 again. And we'll look at verses 6 and 7. And as we look at these verses to consider how fellowship breaks down, uh, just remember some of the things that we've seen, that our fellowship, it's vertical and it's horizontal. It's a possession, it's something that we have and hold, and it's also something that we practice. And maybe with those thoughts in mind, consider these words in 1 John chapter 1, verses 6 to 7. John writes here again, If we say that we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. I just want to make a couple high-level observations from those verses. The first one being this. You do not possess fellowship if you walk in darkness. Unbelievers do not share the fellowship with God or his people. Only those brought into the light possess it. Uh, Christians possess this fellowship. And people who live consistent lives of unrepentant sin and they, they have not been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, they don't have it. You do not possess fellowship if you walk or live in darkness. And another observation from this text, you do not practice fellowship by walking in darkness. Those who walk in darkness don't possess it. And, and you also, you don't practice it. 
by walking in darkness or sin. Our fellowship breaks down when as people of the light, we walk in darkness and sin. When we, we walk in the way, we live in a way that we were saved from. Our fellowship with each other breaks down when our fellowship with God breaks down. When there's trouble in our relationship with God because of sin in our lives and our fellowship practically breaks down with Him, it doesn't just break down vertically. It breaks down horizontally. Sin assaults our fellowship. And so God has called us to cultivate this thing called fellowship with our brothers. And the second practice that we note in our covenant, God calls you to bear your brother's burdens. Our covenant states, and will help to bear their burdens through prayer and practical assistance. When I read that phrase this week, uh, I just thought, praise God, because I personally believe that this is a space that you all have done very well in. And I think should be commended for, I actually, I think that specific phrase is something that our church, by the grace of God, has really thrived and done well in over the years to the point where it has really started to become part of the culture and, and fabric of our church. And we want that to continue. We want that to grow. But I just want to say praise God for his work in your lives in that regard. As we think about this idea of sharing burdens, it's one of, I think we could say, the specific manifestations of fellowship. We just saw verses that were already highlighting that. God's people, helping God's people, carrying their burdens, running to them in times of need. Galatians 6 verse 2 tells us to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. That's the sort of thing that people who share koinonia do. People who are in fellowship with God and fellowship with one another, what do they do? They bear each other's burdens. How so? Well, our covenant mentions through prayer. Together we share in, in, in carrying each other's burdens and setting those burdens down before the throne. We help each other get each other's burdens there. Through practical assistance, I think we ask, what can I do practically to help carry someone else's load today? How can I put my resources, gather them, leverage them, and put them at the disposal of my brother and for his good. Whatever those resources are, my wealth, my time, my energy, whatever God has entrusted to me. Hebrews 13, 16 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share, to koinonia what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. And Romans 12, verse 13 says, Contribute, it's the verb form of this word koinonia, Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. A couple of years ago, after my wife and I had had three children, we were pregnant. Uh, my wife was pregnant. I've never been pregnant, just in case you're wondering. My wife was pregnant with our fourth child, and we were all excited, and uh, things were going well, and then all of a sudden, things were not going well. And one night, late in the evening, my wife and I ended up at the Grey Nuns Hospital in the ER, and we realized she was in the process of having a miscarriage. And things just went from great to absolutely horrible in a moment. And we were both sitting there in this hospital room realizing that, that the baby that my wife was carrying had just died, and it just was hitting, we're just trying to process it. I mean, literally just, it just happened. And I remember um, I, that was something I think we shared with all of you, and, 
in the days to come, it was just a massive blessing as God's people came to us, and I don't know how many meals we people dropped off at our door, um, but they just the meals just kept coming day after day after day, and people would step into our house for a few minutes as they dropped off a meal, and one of the things that we found out was actually just how many people um, have been through that. It, just, it's like, it felt like every third person walking through the door was saying, yeah, we had that happen too. And, and we remember it. And, and just sharing as brothers and sisters in Christ in that pain and also just very practically a meal being dropped off, that was a huge blessing to my wife and I in that time of hurt and pain in our life. And that's just one very simple way, uh, just one very practical manifestation of the type of thing that should be happening all the time in God's people's lives where we're stepping in to each other's lives and we're caring. But it's unique. We're, we're doing that as Christians. It's our Christian lives coming together through all the highs and lows of life. And that's what God calls us to. He wants you to cultivate fellowship and bear burdens. It is a biblical commitment. And to move on now to the second reality about this commitment in our covenant, it's a threatened commitment. It's, a, it's threatened in our lives to our detriment, but not just our detriment, to the detriment of the gospel and ultimately the detriment of the glory of God. There are so many things that keep us from living in fellowship. Now I can mention a few come to mind. I think that we could say that fake fellowship threatens real fellowship. We substitute other things for real fellowship and then we call those things fellowship. A church could be a happy club that's together all the time, multiple days a week. I mean, the machine can just be running. And God's people are together, 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 all this time together, and yet practicing, devoting themselves to the fellowship very, very little. Friendships can be that way. Just because you're together and hanging out doesn't necessarily mean that you're practicing or devoting yourself to the fellowship. Uh, sin in all of its many forms threatens real fellowship, and I think we could say especially relational sin. Gossip, slander, uh, bitterness, resentment, unforgiveness, those sorts of things. And so we want to be quick to biblically make those things right with each other. We, we, we have fellowship with God and with His Son, and that fellowship must drive the fellowship between us. And anything that gets in the way of that, we destroy by the grace of God. Our sin must not stand in the way of our fellowship. We must repent of it. We must confess it. We must restore our relationships. Competition threatens real fellowship. Paul spoke of the fact that we're gospel partners. We're moving together in the same direction. We're not opposed to each other. We're not pulling in different directions. We're not competing. This isn't a competition. We're all on the same team. Also, a Lone Ranger mentality threatens real fellowship. Some people talk and live as if they are perfectly content with this idea of, you know what, I'm, I'm going to have vertical fellowship. I love God. I don't really care about his people very much, but I love him. And yet those verses that we, we looked at in 1 John say, no, that is not how it works, period. If you love God and you have fellowship with him, then you will have fellowship with his people and you will love them. A Lone Ranger mentality threatens real fellowship. On that note, it's hard for people to share your burdens 
when you're not open with people about what those are. When you live a very private, kind of secluded life and you're journeying through that life and it's just kind of you. And I think Lone Ranger Christians, often what they end up doing is God has designed it that, that the body would be with them through their life journey. And because they, they kind of are over here off to the side, they end up robbing all of these people of the joy uh, of fellowshipping with them and doing things for them and sharing with them in those highs and lows. And they take ministry opportunities away from the body because they keep themselves at a distance. God wants you to cultivate fellowship and bear burdens. It is a threatened commitment. And third, another reality, it is a practical commitment. And I, I want to give you just a few ways that hopefully by the grace of God, you can live out this calling to devote yourself to fellowship. Here are a few ways that you can live it out. First, focus first on vertical fellowship. What we saw is that our fellowship hinges on this fellowship. Our fellowship hinges on a relationship with God. So focus first on vertical fellowship. Everything starts with and flows from your vertical fellowship or relationship with God. So you must prioritize that. You must prioritize your own walk and communion and relationship with him. And you may say, hey, I, I want to cultivate fellowship with th these people. Okay, start, start vertically. Second, devote yourself to the apostles' doctrine or teaching together. Remember how Acts chapter 2, verse 42, described for us what the early church did? It said that they devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine and the fellowship, and the list went on. Fellowship is a natural byproduct of being full of the apostles' doctrine. The early church devoted themselves to what the apostles taught, basically to, the, to what we now call our New Testament scriptures. They devoted themselves to the word of God and the fellowship. Those two things are very tightly connected. Fellowship is a natural byproduct of being full of the apostles' doctrine because out of the abundance of the heart, Luke tells us, the mouth speaks. So if you fill your heart with the word of God, it's going to come out in, together in our lives. So think about this. If you study the Bible with someone, if you come to one of our uh, studies on Tuesday night, our men's studies, our la ladies' studies, if you come here on, on Sunday morning and you hear God's word preached, the apostles' doctrine taught, and then you sit down at table time, or if you take part in one of our Bible reading groups and, and you read the Bible with these people, good chance, you know what's going to happen? You'll end up fellowshipping because you went with God's people to his words together. And fellowship's just a natural byproduct of that so much of the time. Also, go to the things of God in your conversations and go there often. We want to just try to cultivate this life where we're, we're talking about God's words in our lives and what's going on and sharing those things. Another thing you can do is take inventory of all of your resources, all the resources that you have that can be shared. Your money, but not just your money. I mean, that is just one of your many, many resources. Your money, your time, your energy and vitality, your space, your ears. You have, you can just sit there and listen to someone. 
wisdom, emotions, your possessions, your training, your kitchen, your table. You have a list of resources, I think, honestly, that's probably much, much larger than you've ever considered. And remember this principle, God calls me to use my resources for the needs of the body, whatever God has given me, if I can take those resources and I can share them for the good of my brother. And we can enjoy fellowship together. Take inventory of all resources you have that can be shared and then look for opportunities to deploy your resources. How can I use these things to cultivate fellowship? How can I use these things to share? And share it all. We share in joy. We share in pain. We share in triumph and defeat and loss, gain, chaos and excess. We share in it all together. And we come into each other's lives. We step into each other's lives. And, and when we do that, we don't just bring ourselves. And it's a wonderful thing as a Christian. When I step into the life of my brother, the only thing that I have to offer is not just me. We bring the gospel. We bring the love of Christ. We bring the resurrection. We bring the scriptures. We bring hope. And do you know what's really cool, I think, about this fellowship idea? is that true spiritual community around Christ and the gospel really becomes the antidote to cliques, to generational and cultural divides. When a church is actually devoting themselves to this, what we've seen, all these things in our society that, that separate us and divide us and put one group of people over here and another group of people over there and this group there and that group there and this group at odds and whatever the case may be, the gospel and the fellowship of the gospel take all those things and they bring them together as one in Christ. And again, it's pictured at the Lord's table. That is so cool. God wants you to fellowship, or cultivate fellowship and bear burdens. It is a practical commitment. And it's also, number four, a grace-required commitment. Again, you have work to do. But you can't do these things in your own strength. You don't have it in you. But we did see something. You do have something in you. Or maybe I should say you have someone in you, the Holy Spirit. You need God's help and grace. And as we already saw, it is the Spirit of God that, that creates fellowship. We all share in the Spirit. We, we, we have Him dwelling within us. And He creates this. And so it would make sense then if this is a, the work of the Spirit of God that we would run to Him and we would say, God, we would say, Holy Spirit, would you help me? Would you help me to live this way, to practice fellowship? And so ask him for his help. This is a grace-required commitment. And finally, number five, fifth reality about this commitment, it is a gospel-driven commitment. I want to ask you to turn to one more passage, and it's the book of Philemon in the sixth verse. I don't know how much you know about this little book of Philemon, but... Paul wrote it to his friend Philemon about one of Philemon's former slaves. Now, if memory serves me correctly, I believe that this former slave was actually delivering this letter himself to Philemon. And that slave's name was Onesimus. And here's what appears from a reading of the text that happened. It appears that this slave, Onesimus, robbed his master Philemon, bolted, ran across the ancient world, and became a Christian. Somewhere in there, he came in contact with the Apostle Paul, and he's trusted Christ. He's now a new man. 
And in this little letter, Paul speaks to the relationship now between these two men, this, two men, this former runaway slave, Onesimus, and his master, Philemon. <clears throat> and how that relationship should be shaped and defined by the gospel. On the human level, there's just no way this relationship should work. It just shouldn't. And I want you to look at Philemon chapter 1 and verse 6 and notice what Paul says to Philemon. He says, and I pray that the sharing, and that's our word that we've been looking at this morning, koinonia. And I want you to notice what Paul connects that word to specifically. What word does he tie it or tether it to? I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. Here's the idea. Faith in Christ or the gospel, it produces a bond or a fellowship among believers. The gospel does that. Necessitating that they act and respond toward one another in a particular fashion for the advantage and glory of Jesus Christ. Paul is saying this is every relationship in the body. Paul connects fellowship to the gospel. What would cause you to cultivate fellowship? I mean, in this scenario, it's with two, two brothers who have every reason to be at odds. What would cause you to fellowship, cultivate that, and to bear burdens? And right here in Philemon, we have the answer. It's the gospel. Fellowship and the gospel are tethered together. The gospel must drive and motivate this commitment. Nothing else is going to fuel it. God wants you to cultivate it, and it's a gospel-driven commitment. Again, the same three applications that we've been making every week. What does God want you to do with these things? Well, first of all, he wants you to live it by his grace. God expects you to live this out. We want to encourage you to pray it, to take th that commitment in our covenant about cultivating fellowship, bearing burdens, and to pray that for yourself and to pray it for these people. God, we see this example of your church in Acts chapter 2. Would you help me to follow that example? Would you help us to live that out? God, would you, would you help this to define our church? Pray it. And number three, make it contagious. And like with so many of these, one of the best ways that you can do that is by modeling it and living it out. When, when you are in a community, when you are in a group of people where something is actually part of the culture, sooner or later, if you live immersed in that culture, you start to pick it up. And that's what God wants here, that, that we would all be giving, us to these, giving ourselves to these things and it would start to define our culture from the bottom up. And as the people come in and they become part of our church, this is who we are. This is what we do. We cultivate fellowship. We bear each other's burdens by the grace of God. Would you bow your head?